Now, we've been on uh, an evangelism series talking about what does it mean to be joyful sharers of good news. And last week, I kicked us off on that series. And uh, today, I want to continue along those lines. And then next week will be our final message in that series. Um, but if we can, Mike, if I can get the, that passage on the screen here, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse number 11, verse number 11, hear the word of the Lord. It says, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are plain, what we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And then here's one of our favorite verses in all of the Bible. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Whether you know it or not, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a ministry, a ministry of reconciliation. Then he gives some, what, is, what does that mean? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Oh, that's good news. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore, and here's the word, God, Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal to us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, thank, thank you, Eartha. Can, I, can someone say amen to all of that? I mean, oh, that's good. I just, I, just, I mean, thank you, Eartha. I mean, you and me, we're, we're right here together. Let me pray for us. And you will all join Eartha's uh, enthusiasm with the, with the word of God here. Lord Jesus, we offer our lives to you today. Lord, we remember those suffering around the world. We remember those in Florida. And Lord, we ask that your grace would be sufficient there. And Lord, as we uh, sit here under the hearing of your word, may the Holy Spirit open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to receive every good gift you have for us today. We offer our time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I want to tell you a story about a Puerto Rican man who in the 1970s would walk the streets of East New York overcome by his addiction to drugs. His name is Sam. In 1979, the year that I was born, uh, Sam was 27 years old. He lived uh, a life that many would describe as incredibly painful, and his outlet to his pain and his escape from his pain was through drugs. It was on November 29th of 1979 that Sam was walking the streets of East New York, Brooklyn, and the street that he was walking on was Pickin Avenue, right by Elton Street. It was the block that I grew up on. 
Sam was uh, looking for a drug fix, but he had no money, but he did have an instrument. He had a percussion instrument called the bongos, and he was trying to go to a local church to sell this instrument so that he could get some money to get his drug fix. He was looking for a church, and he passed by one church on the block that I grew up on, a small Latino Pentecostal church called Bethel, which means the house of God. The church service was over. The pastor of the church was outside of the church. My grandfather was there. My grandmother was there. Some leaders of the church were outside. They had already closed the doors. The service was over. They were about to go home. And this man, Sam, approached the small group of people offering this instrument to them in exchange for some money. Now, my grandfather, uh, when he saw the man, this was the first time that he met him, he hugged the man, embraced the man. And the pastor reopened the doors of the church. And they said, we're not going to give you money for your instrument. But what we will do is we will pray for you. And so they opened the church and brought the man to the altar. This is good Latino Pentecostal ministry right here. (laughs) We will open the church back up again and bring you to the altar in Jesus' name. And so they brought him to the altar. They began to pray for him. They began to share the gospel with him. And this man, Sam, was led to the Lord by my grandfather and by that pastor. This is the story of good news. Sam wanted to sell his instrument, but he met Jesus instead. He would go later to Teen Challenge, where he would work on his addiction to drugs. He would go into some other programs. He would go on to college, and he became, as it were, a kind of adopted son by my grandparents. In uh, 1980s or so, he began to get discipled by my grandfather and others. This is Sam in the 1980s. Sam's story is one of good news, one who received good news, and his life was transformed as a result of it. But his story doesn't end there. Nearly 20 years after that encounter in front of that small church in Brooklyn, Sam found himself on that same block again in front of a different church, this time across the street. In 1979, Sam came because he was trapped in addictions, needing freedom. In 1999, he returned to that same area to offer good news for people trapped in bondage. My grandparents uh, were uh, at this church when they were Sam stopped by to preach. 20 years prior, he was an addict. 20 years later, he was an evangelist. And he was preaching in this church. My grandparents were in that church that day. I found myself in that church that day as well. I've mentioned on a number of occasions that uh, on this August summer night in 1999, I came to Christ as well as 14 of my family members in one night came to Christ in this small church called Arca de Salvación, Ark of Salvation. What I've never said was, who was the one who led us to Christ? It was this guy named Sam. 20 years prior, my grandfather led him to Christ. 20 years later, he would lead my grandfather's family to Christ. This is the story of good news. This is a picture of Sam a couple of months after he led our family. It's my father there in the early 2000s uh, in good Latino outfit, (laughs) Pentecostal, looking good. One of the reasons I'm passionate about evangelism and being sharers of good news is because I believe that the good news of Jesus is better than any bad news we face. 
You cannot fully understand what it means to be a Christian without understanding the joyful and urgent work of sharing good news. And yet, because we've been had our church experiences, the word evangelism is a word that we have a love-hate relationship with. Many of us love the idea of evangelism. Others of us are, are, are scared of the idea of evangelism. We have mixed feelings about it. We're often taught techniques that don't seem natural to us. And in spite of all of that, I want to help us reimagine what evangelism is. And last week I've mentioned that evangelism at its core is about the joyful and urgent announcing of good news to a world crushed by bad news. That our world is crushed by bad news. Our world is desperately looking for good news. And Christians are to embody and be joyful and urgent sharers of the good news of Jesus Christ. That God is reconciling the world through Jesus. That in his birth, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in the sending of the Holy Spirit, God is reconciling the entire world to himself through Jesus. This is good news that people urgently and desperately need. And so our, our, our Christian witness when it comes to evangelism is to be one of joy and urgency. Christians are to be the most joyful people and joyfully offering good news. We are to, be, we are to replace our anger. A lot of angry Christians out there. We are to replace our anger with joy and our complacency with urgency. And this is the call of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Now, as a Christian, I believe that Jesus Christ is the full and final revelation of God, that Jesus shows us the heart of the Father perfectly, that if you want to experience the depth of love, transformation, and healing, and forgiveness, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And because this is who Jesus is, there is an urgency to proclaim his kingdom because there are many who are desperately longing for the kind of life that he offers People on your job and people in your family and people in your neighborhood, whether they know it or not, are desperately longing for an encounter with the living God. And our call is to be sharers of good news. Now, last week to review, I I gave a couple of words to talk about what it means for us to be joyful and urgent sharers of good news. And if I can just return to that for a moment before I look at 2 Corinthians 5. I mentioned that if we're going to be joyful sharers of good news, we must first abide with Jesus. We are to speak out of being with Jesus. And this is not a small point. This is something that people very often tend to miss. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, really captures this when he says that there have been some who were so preoccupied with spreading Christianity that they never gave a thought to Christ. That we could be so busy doing for God that we're never being with God. We can so, be so busy spreading news for, uh, about God to others, but never truly embracing the good news for ourselves. It is possible to be so preoccupied spreading Christianity that we never allow God to saturate our own souls first, out of which we speak. And so our lives are to be marked by prayer. Our lives are to be marked by contemplation. Our lives are to be marked by being with God, abiding with Jesus. And it is out of that place of abiding that we are called to find others, urgently find others. That God has put in your workplace, God has put on your block, in your neighborhood, God has put in your family, people who are, might be open already, sensitive to the work that God is doing in their lives. And we are called to urgently find them so that they would be found by God which is the call. We are people who are found, who look to find people to be found by God. 
That's the call of evangelism. And it is out of this place that we remember that God is already active. That before you got there, before the conversation started, God is already moving. God is already alive. God is already active. Christians don't bring God anywhere. We reveal and discern where God is already active. And so this serves as a baseline for us. We are to abide with Jesus, find others, and remember that God is already working. And and we are called to this because Jesus has an amazing vision for our lives. And Jesus' vision uh, is a vision that's larger than we have for ourselves, and his vision includes the transformation of people's lives through the announcement of good news. That you have a vision for your life, and it's a good vision, I'm sure, but Jesus has a larger vision for you. And that vision includes the transformation of people's lives through the announcement of good news. And so that as a background here, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians gives a little uh, perspective as, as well as it pertains to what it means for us to be sharers of good news. What does it mean for us to give expression to the good news of Jesus and his kingdom? And when you look at 2 Corinthians 5, you see Paul uses incredible holy, dignified language to let us know of the incredible call that God has placed on our lives. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul calls Christians ambassadors, ambassadors of reconciliation. And before he gets to that term ambassador, it's as if Paul begins to write out what is a job description of an ambassador. What does an ambassador do before he gets towards the end where he culminates our call in this chapter to be ambassadors? Paul uh, is giving language to a church that he wants uh, to be deeply missional. He's saying God has called each and every one of us on mission to be ambassadors. And and, And the ministry in particular that God has given us is one of reconciliation. Now, at New Life, we use that word reconciliation often, and often when we talk about it here, it pertains to bridging racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers. We're called to the work of reconciliation. But you can't have reconciliation between others in the deepest sense of the word without first being reconciled to God. It's impossible to be truly reconciled to others before we're reconciled to God. And so the work of the Christian, first and foremost, is to have people reconciled to God. And this is the call of what it means to be an ambassador. Uh, Reconciliation is ultimately about the restoration of relationship. And it assumes the largest story of the Bible. That in the book of Genesis, we see communion between God and humanity. God creates humanity, Adam and Eve. They enjoy fellowship with one another. But sin enters into the world. And by sin, I'm not talking about bad behavior or particular symptoms of sin. I'm talking about a, a sin. It's in the singular, a, a, a principle of being that separates us from us and God. A way of living that makes me the center of the universe. A way of living that says, my kingdom come, my will be done. That's sin. And it's important as Christians theologically to make a distinction between sins and sin. Often Christians focus on sins and never address sin. But you can't address sins without first dealing with sin. Are you with me? (laughs) We often deal with the symptomatic behaviors of sin. 
And we say, those are the sins we need to stop. And we tell people, stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that. And so it's possible to stop doing sins and still be in sin. And so Paul's saying that the deeper reality is not the behaviors you do, but the principle inside of you that says, my kingdom come, my will be done. And so reconciliation is not simply about stop doing that. Reconciliation is about stop being this. And align yourself to the love of God, out of which your sins can be dealt with. It's theologically incredibly important to deal with. And most of Christianity is about dealing with symptoms and not the root issue. And so Paul says we are, we are called to be reconciled. That sin in its essence is a disordered way of living, which leads to disconnection from friendship with God because all of life is oriented around myself. And so the goal of evangelism is the proper ordering of one's life, which is to lead to friendship with God. And Paul says there are a couple of words that describe what it means to be an ambassador of reconciliation. One of the first words that I want to focus on is Paul says to do the work of reconciliation means we are called to persuade, to persuade, not manipulate, but to persuade. He says in verse 11, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. To fear the Lord doesn't mean to be scared or uh, fearful of God as if God is uh, like the clown, it, uh, the new movie that's out there. Like we're not afraid of God in that way. Don't watch that movie. It's a scary movie. Uh, but, but we are called to reverence God to be in awe of God, to recognize that God is God and we are not, to recognize the holy otherness of God. Because we know what it's like to fear the Lord, he says we try to persuade others. And so the work of evangelism, of being joyful sharers of good news, is about persuasion, about drawing people to consider the God we worship through our words and through our deeds. That our lives are to be drawing people, wooing people, not in manipulation, but showing through our words and through our deeds and the way we respond to catastrophes of human existence, natural disasters, that through our faith, through our life, through our love, that we are to draw attention to the God that we worship. That through our words, our deeds, our actions, that we are to persuade and draw people into relationship. This is why even in the midst of chaos, in the midst of natural disasters, in the midst of terror attacks, Christians are in a unique position to persuade people to consider the God of the universe. That through our uh, perseverance and through our love and through our steadfastness and through our faith and through our deeds, we draw people in. And Paul says, your job as an ambassador of reconciliation, whether you know it or not, is to draw people into relationship with God. We are, do, we are called to do the work of persuading. Now, m- many Christians, instead of doing the work of persuading, we're really good at the work of debating. (laughs) We don't really persuade. We like to debate and make sure we are right. 
We want to be right. And so that's not what Paul is talking about here. I heard uh, a pastor, uh, a guy named Scott Sauls, who said, being right without loving well is not right. And so you could be right and yet be wrong if you're not loving well. I recall this. I remember one of my first evangelistic kind of, if you want to call it a conversation, I had with a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses. It was a couple of years after I had become a Christian. I was very zealous, as I mentioned last week, very zealous about it. I was reading about everything and why everybody else is wrong now that I found religion. And so, um, and so I, you know, I, I'm reading all this. And one day, I'm walking outside. And my cousin, who's outside, she's talking to these uh, two folks that I've never seen before. And I'm always skeptical. So I'm like, who are you? Why are you here? And, and they're talking to her about, it seemed like God. And so I'm walking in, and, 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 and she's going, really? And they had all their materials, and they're giving it to her. And so I just, I just cut in the conversation. I said, what are we talking about? And I said, what are we talking about? Would you like something? No, I don't want that. What, what are we talking about? <laughs> and they start talking about you know, their, their, their message. And I could tell that they were not like advanced. Like they were not like, they were coming like novices. And I was a novice too. I had just become a Christian, but I, and I thought I knew what I, and so we're, I'm, I'm, what about Hebrews 1? You know, I'm, this is in the front of the house. And then John 1, and, and we're going back and forth there. And by the time five minutes or so finished, I said, how about this? Next week, you come back. We're going to take this inside. <laughs> Usually, if you want to fight, you take it outside. We're going to take this inside. We're going to talk about it some more. And they said, all right, we're coming again next week. I said, come, 12 o'clock, I'll see you here. I said to my brother, you better be here. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> the following week, those two came with somebody else. He looked like the regional director of Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> Tall, good-looking, strong. Who is this guy? I don't remember him from last week. Who is this guy? And they came in, and we sat down. My brother wasn't there. I was like, listen, are you coming or not? Are you, just, are you coming? I need help. I need reinforcements. Bring the big Bible. That one, yes. And we sat down, and you know what we did? For about an hour and a half, we were just throwing daggers at each other with verses. And what about this? And he's going, what about that? And what about this? And what about that? And for about 90 minutes, we screamed over each other with Bible verses. And at the end of the day, as a follower of Jesus, I didn't want to persuade them. I wanted to be right. And at the end, they got up and I said, well, you come back again whenever you want to come back and we'll finish this conversation. When Paul says, Persuade, he's not saying debate in this kind of a way. Now, there's good debating, of course, and the right debating and the proper context for debating and apologetics and all that there. But I wasn't trying to be about apologetics. I was trying to be about being right. Paul says our words, our lives are to draw people in, to consider the God that we worship. And the motivation for this, Paul says, it's very important. Paul says, why, we, why do we do this? Because Christ's love compels us. His love compels us. Now, in this verse, Paul shows the heart of someone who is joyfully and urgently sharing good news. It's done out of Christ's love. Now, I can't overestimate 
and overstate how important this verse is because often we are called and, and taught to evangelize and share our faith because we've been taught directly or indirectly that if we don't do it and if someone dies without coming to Jesus, we are responsible. Blood is, I've heard preachers say, blood is on your hands if you don't share your faith. And so what begins to happen is we begin to share out of fear and out of guilt, not out of love. And so what happens is we share our faith out of self-preservation. Because at the end of human history, I don't want to be judged. And so uh, I, I share the word. Thank God I did it. I don't have to be judged for that there. And when it's done out of, in that kind of way, it's done out of guilt and fear and self-preservation. And Paul says that's not the reason why we, sh- the reason why we share good news is out of love, which brings me back to what I said last week. How can we, unless we are abiding with Jesus and being with Jesus and praying with Jesus and allowing scripture to shape us, how are we going to, how is Christ's love going to compel us? We'll be drawn by fear and guilt. But Paul says, if we're going to do this in the way that we are called to be ambassadors, we have to allow the love of Christ to compel us. And so Paul says, we are, the call is to be persuaded, to, to persuade others. Why? Because we are compelled by Christ. And then he gets to the conclusion of it. He says, you, if any person is in Christ... The person's a new creation, or he says, new creation. The old is past, the new has come. And when we hear that verse, we typically stop right there. And we go, oh, thank God I'm a new creation. Thank God God's forgiven me. But if you look at the, the context, Paul announces that new creation has started, not so that we can be content with us being a new creation. He says, you're a new creation so that you can now have this call. You have been assigned something. You have been given a dignified position. You are a new creation, and out of that new creation, there is a dignified position that has been conferred upon you to be, and here's the word, an ambassador of reconciliation. Now, an ambassador is a, a, a respected official who, uh, who acts as a representative of a nation, who, is, who has been commissioned to reflect the one who sends him or her. And Christians are God's ambassadors. Look at how holy this is. We are to be God's representatives of the kingdom of God, representatives of the kingdom of Jesus. And so as we go through the world with our words and with our deeds, with our actions, we are to show that there is another world that exists that we are sent from. And so to be an ambassador means that we recognize that we are sent. When you look at Jesus, everywhere Jesus went, he lived like he was sent. He, everywhere he went, he lived like he was sent. And everywhere we go, we are to live the same way, that God is sending us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. And you go, where does it start? It starts right where you are at. To be an ambassador doesn't mean you have to travel across the world. To be an ambassador often means you have to travel across the street. To be an ambassador means you have to go to the next room in your house. To be an ambassador starts right where we are. I'd argue that to be an ambassador of reconciliation often starts with those closest to us. 
It's often those that are closest to us that are hardest to love. It's, it's, it's easy to love people out there. It's hard to love people up close. And it's very easy to romanticize ministry and mission and evangelism, loving people out there. When God often, perhaps primarily, calls us to love people right here. We are to be ambassadors of reconciliation to people right here. A couple of weeks ago, I was looking at uh, one of my prayer journals. Every now and then, I'll look at the ways that God has, where has God has brought me from, and looking at God's history of faithfulness in my life. And I'll look at journals from early 2000s and 2010, and 11. I'm looking at all that there. And a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at one of my prayer journals from a couple of years ago. And I woke up one morning, and this is what I wrote in my journal. I said, Lord, today I'm reminded that I'm part of a great story that is thousands of years in the making. You are making all things new. You are restoring the world to yourself, and you are inviting me to join you in this work. And then, and then look at my prayer. Send me to whomever you want. And as I'm Writing this prayer, my daughter comes up to me, and she interrupts me and asks me to pour her a bowl of Cheerios, and I'm upset. I'm, she's distracting me. I'm annoyed that she would interrupt my time with God. I'm asking God, Lord, would you, I want to join you in remaking the world. Why, Cheerios, can you wait a second? <laughs> give me a second to be with God. I just said, Lord, send me to whomever you want. Can you give me a second? And then I realized, oh. Maybe this whole send me whatever it starts like right here. And after sinning and after saying some things under my breath and, and, and after catching an attitude, I, I, I journaled again and said this, Lord, I've looked at this simple request of cereal as a distraction, yet joining you in the restoration of the world must include pouring milk and Cheerios for a little girl. Teach me to be an ambassador of your love to my family and anyone you put in my path today. Amen. Now, MBT. In between those two paragraphs, I was sinning like Satan. Uh, but something happened. I'm called to be an ambassador to those God has put right in front of me. God's calling you to be an ambassador to your workplace. In your workplace. We spend most of our waking hours over the course of our lives working, working with people. And God has sent you there to, to be an ambassador to your workplace. At New Life, we say everyone is in full-time ministry. Every single one of us. Full-time ministry is not something that people who work for a church do. We don't, everyone is in full-time ministry. We don't say things like, I can't wait to quit my job so that I can go into full-time ministry. That's not good theology. That's not good Bible teaching. Everyone, if you are a follower of Jesus, is in full-time ministry. And so if you are a hairstylist, you are an ambassador in the way that you do that hair. If you are a bus driver, you are an ambassador in the ways that you serve and love those children. 
If you are an educator, you are an ambassador sent by God to love and instruct children in a particular way. If you are a stay-at-home parent, you are an ambassador. God has sent you there in your workplace, whatever that space is. Every workplace is sacred space. And God has sent us there to be ambassadors of reconciliation. And so we are called to our workplaces. Wherever God sends us, we are called to be an ambassador. And we are called to live like we are sent, because this is how Jesus lived. And so what, what does this mean very practically? How, how, do we, how do we live as ambassadors of reconciliation? And if I could uh, close with just a couple of simple ways of understanding our call, I'll say it in this way. First of all, I'd say that to be an ambassador of reconciliation requires us to, to preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. That phrase is often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And uh, preach the gospel and, if necessary. In, in other words, the primary ministry that we have is one of our lives, not simply of our words. Because our lives often preach louder than our words. And so preach the gospel with our lives and the way that we love and the way that we forgive and the actions that we do. It was Jesus who said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let people see, not in some kind of self-oriented kind of a way, but let others see your deeds. Preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words that are through our generosity, through our sacrificial love that we are called to proclaim the good news through our very lives. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. When you look at the church throughout the centuries, we see that the church has done this really well throughout the centuries. Surely you can say a lot of things about the church throughout the centuries that were bad, and surely you can say a lot of things about the church throughout the centuries that are incredibly godly. One of the things, one of the emperors in the second and third centuries, while there was a, a devastating plagues in the area, natural disasters would take note of Christians. And, and one person captured it this way. When a t- devastating plague swept across the ancient world in the third century, Christians were the only ones who cared for the sick, which they did at the risk of contracting the plague themselves. Meanwhile, pagans were throwing infected members of their own families into the streets even before they died in order to protect themselves from the disease. You'll see emperors writing in the second and third century, look at their love for one another and look at their love for people who don't even belong to their community. They even love people who are not a part of their family. Preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. But that's just one way of seeing our, our very lives. Your very life is a sermon. See, I, I never preached a sermon before. Yes, you have. Every single day when you walk, you're preaching through your love and kindness or lack thereof, you're preaching. But it's not just preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. We're also called to preach the gospel and, because it's necessary, use words. Which one is it? Yes, it's both. <laughs> We're called to preach the gospel, and because it's necessary, we are called to use words. There there are two types of ineffective evangelism, intolerant Christians and invisible Christians. 
intolerant Christian people, I mean, they just, they, they do not make good ambassadors. And what happens is we often, because we've been around, we don't want to be lumped in with those kind of Christians. We become invisible Christians. And what happens, we, also, we, we often celebrate our relationships with people that don't know Christ. And they say, oh, my friends love me. They know I'm a Christian, but they know that I don't preach to them. And what I mean by that is they, I, I'm, not, I'm not preachy to them. But what also happens, they swing the pendulum where they never say anything about God to them. And no spiritual conversations are being had. And so whether it's an intolerant Christian or whether it's an invisible Christian, we are called to preach the gospel. And because it's necessary to use words, whether the words are your story, that God has brought you from a mighty long way, that God has intervened in your life, and whether it's you sharing your story, your testimony with people on how God has shaped you, whether it's having spiritual conversations over coffee, whether it's uh, inviting others to consider the claims of Jesus. We are called to preach good news, and because it's necessary, use words. Now, Paul says, to be an ambassador of reconciliation means we are called to persuade others, compelled by the love of Christ, because God has given us this dignified and holy task. But what I want to end is just to remind us about this idea of reconciliation, that is, that reconciliation requires two people. Forgiveness doesn't require two people, but reconciliation does. And the good news that Paul wants us to know is that when it comes to reconciliation, God has already done the hard work. God has already moved towards us. God is already for you. In Christ, God is already for you. Don't ever, God is not, in Christ, God is not against you. In Christ, God is for you. God will always be for you. God always moves towards you. The question is, do we turn to him? Do we respond to him? Now, I have a, a three-year-old son, as you know, Nathan, and Nathan from time to time wants me to hold him, but Nathan gets into this kind of lazy and sinful and difficult way. And so what he'll do is he'll be on one side of the room, and he goes, oh, pick me up, pick me up, pick me up. And I just say, if you come over here, I'll pick you up. Oh, I can't, I can't, pick me up, I can't get up, pick me up. And so I'm on the other side, and I'm just, yes, yes, yes. If you don't come, I'm not going to be, oh, please, pick me up, pick me up. And I go, you, you can't be tired. You didn't do anything today. I mean, that's, you, you were put with his torch. That got you exhausted. Oh, I can't move. Pick me up. And so what I, what I do after a, a while of his pick me up, so I go, all right, let me just, I walk over to him and, and I go, come on. He goes, no, I need you to pick me up. He's still on the ground. I'm, I just moved from the kitchen to the living room. I, I, I did all the work. What do you want? To, and, oh, and then I, and I, I really stooped down. And, I, and, just, and then, oh, thank you. And again, I just embrace him that way. Now, listen, I've done all the work. <laughs> he stood right there. I walked right over. I bent down. I picked him up. And we were at that moment kind of reconciled there. Now, when it comes spiritually, we are like my son. Oh, pick me up. 
God, pick me up. And you know what God does? God doesn't just come from the kitchen to the living room. He comes from heaven to earth. He doesn't go from one room to the next. He goes from the throne room down here. And God, Paul says, God, God is always for you. God is always moving towards you. This is the incarnation. God recognizes we can't come to him, but he has to come to us. And he comes to us, dies on a cross, resurrects, pours out his spirit. And so all we can do is pick me up. And he goes, okay. And he comes to us and simply says, would you, would you allow me to embrace you? God's arms are always extended to you. God has already done the hard work. He's already paid for our sins. He's already forgiven. He he's opens our hands to us, his, his arms to us, and simply says, would you respond? This is the grace of God. And Paul's saying, God has already done the work for us. He, he says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He's saying God in Christ has done all the work already. Your job, very simply, is to respond to his love. Let's pray together. The Lord Jesus Christ is always for you. God is always for us in Christ. And our simple response of reconciliation is to respond to him. This is grace. I want to invite you to close your eyes and just consider your life right now. Some of you feel overwhelmed just with life. You can't even imagine being an ambassador. You're trying to say, Rich, I'm trying to get through this day. How can I be an ambassador? And yet God is with you and calling you through your ups and downs, through your victories and your defeats, through your sin and through your overcoming of sin to be one who serves as an ambassador sent by God to a world longing for reconciliation with God. What a dignified and holy task he's given us. And so the Holy Spirit wants to fill us with his grace and love and empower us to be his witnesses wherever we go, whether it's at home, at the workplace or in the neighborhood we're called to be ambassadors. So Lord Jesus, Lord, would you give us, make us alive to this vision you've given us that we are ambassadors, that wherever we go, just like Jesus, wherever he went, he lived like he was sent. May our lives be the same, whether it's to our family that lives in our same home, whether it's to our coworkers in our workplaces, whether it's to our neighbors across the street, whether it's to a people on, a, on distant shores, may we live out this call to be ambassadors, knowing that you've already done the hard work. You have already drawn near to us. And so, Lord Jesus, we sing to you now words of praise and worship. You are great and greatly to be praised. We sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, let's all stand. Let's sing together.
Lord. Let's have the prayer team come to my left. We have the Lord's table to my right. When we come to the Lord's table, we are being reminded that Jesus always comes to us first. Jesus is for us and for you. And some of you, you've, you've never tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You've never entered into a relationship with Jesus. You've never said, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. I want to forgive me of my sins. And today's an opportunity to do that. We have our prayer team to my left. For whatever need you came in today with, God wants to meet you. God wants to heal you. God wants to restore you. God wants to empower you and send you out to be his ambassador's reconciliation. What a holy, holy task and holy, holy call. And God says, I will give you every resource you need by my spirit to do everything I'm calling you to do. So whether you need prayer, whether you want to receive the bread and the cup, Pastor Joe will be here to offer that to you. Um, just be sensitive to the work of the Spirit in you. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, we'd love to pray for you. There is a world that is waiting for you, a world of grace and mercy and forgiveness and hope, a world waiting for you, another dimension of reality waiting for you. Even as, as you live in this reality, Jesus is calling you by name. And so our prayer team will be here. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing in this way. If you're new to new life, we close every gathering like this because this is a posture of receiving. And you cannot give what you have not received. And so this is us saying, Lord, pour into me everything I need today so that as you send me out, I would go in your power and in your strength. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the truth that you are an ambassador of Jesus. May you discern the work of the Holy Spirit in your home and in your workplace and in your neighborhood. And may you with boldness and courage say yes to his voice and respond to his voice, pouring out your love to the world that desperately needs it. May you be a joyful and an urgent sharer of good news to those around you that are crushed by bad news. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.